So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Hello there, welcome to you. If you're watching this in our Shoreham site, Oasis site, Villa site, or at the Clarendon Centre, or watching this online. Uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that we are in the New Testament book of Philippians. And today we've reached the opening verses of chapter two. And what I would say about it, first of all, is that if there are any aspects of Christianity that are perhaps uh, accepted generally in the wider culture in which we live, the kind of things that the Apostle Paul is writing here, well, this would be it. The idea that doing good to others is a good thing. That is something that is very easy to accept in a city like the one in which we live now. Even sort of contemporary social psychologists like uh, Jonathan Haidt, he wrote a book a few years ago called The Happiness Hypothesis and a kind of bringing together the latest scientific and sociological study in terms of what makes people happy, what makes people have a joyful life and a satisfying life. And one of the things that he was saying in that was that there's a high importance placed on our social relationships, and not just that we have social relationships, but the idea of reciprocity, doing good to others, having them doing good to us, that is a generally a recipe for getting along in life and having a, a satisfying life. It's a key ingredient to that. And we all want to know how to be happy. We all want lives that are satisfying for us. But we also live in a time that tends to be individualistic when it asks those big questions like how can we be happy? How can we have joy in our lives? And we tend to phrase the question, how can I make my life happy? So whether it's words from scripture or words uh, from different uh, research and that sort of thing, they are a check to us, a reminder to us, actually, we need to look beyond ourselves, look to the interests of others. And it's interesting that even the most recent scientific finding would match with something so fundamental to the Christian faith. What Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this letter to the Philippians is really referring to, he's unpacking what Jesus has said. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He's really unpacking that and explaining that for these Philippian Christians. And, and, and Jonathan Haidt in his book pretty much uses that phrase word for word. We all agree that it's a good thing to do. But what we also see in this passage is a sense of a radical teaching. And it goes much beyond just the sense that doing good to others is a good thing. Paul is describing a gospel shaped life. It's not just a moral ideal. It's something much more radical, it comes from a different place even. It comes from God himself. And it pushes beyond just 
good behavior techniques to something much more wonderful, much more, has a much more depth and actually brings us into a much more satisfying joy that stems out of our relationship with Jesus himself. And so that's what we're going to dive into as we look at this passage. And not only is this idea of looking to the interests of others a good thing, and you know, as me as your pastor today, teaching you to do it, but actually I want to commend it to you as a path of joy. The pastor and author Tim Keller refers to it as the freedom of self-forgetfulness. And in many ways that cuts right across the individualistic way that we tend to think of our lives. You see, when we get to know Jesus, and start to embrace this good news, this gospel of what he has done for us, one of the effects of that is that it takes our focus off ourselves and puts it onto God and what he has done and who he is. And in turn, as we embrace that and we receive his love, we begin to look to the interests of others and counting others more significant of ourselves. And that process of not being individualistic, not looking to our own self-importance, looking to God, and then what flows out of that is a loving and a serving of others. And really that's what uh, Paul is unpacking here. And he starts with that word, so. And so we must recognize that what he's saying in this passage really flows out of what we've been learning over the last couple of weeks. Paul has been talking about how life itself for the Christian is Christ. It's all about him. And I was speaking last week about how we are called to live our lives worthy of the gospel. It's not just do good behavior. It's having gospel-shaped lives, having the good news of Jesus flowing out of us into our behavior. So let's look in more detail at the first couple of verses here. Let me read them to you again. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. We must remember the Apostle Paul is writing to a, a group of Christians in Philippi and he's speaking to them about what it means to live out the gospel is to live in community and unity with one another. And again, this is a fundamental truth of, of who people are made to be. God has made people not to think of themselves as individual units, but actually to understand themselves as part of something bigger. And perhaps in the Western individualistic society that most of us live in, we lose the importance of this or this idea of us being part of something bigger than ourselves and belonging to a community. That idea can get eroded and it gets eroded for many different reasons. It's partly to do with the attitude of how uh, people look at life, but it's also technology has changed the way people live in many ways. And it has led, has contributed to often a fragmented society. 
Maybe in decades gone by in this, this country, people would be more connected uh, in terms of their family. It's more likely perhaps in middle of last century that, that family groups would live locally to one another or people would be connected in a community more likely to be church going or something like that or even belong to a social club or just have their local pub. That, that There's a community around that. In many ways, the online world that we all live in now has eroded some of those connections. And for many different reasons, we don't live in the, quite the same way that we have done in the past. You know, it's not just easy, sorry, it's not just possible, but it's actually easy to live and work and eat and shop and have entertainment and even have relationships with others without even leaving the four walls of where we live. We can, we can do all those things. Technology has enabled us to do that. We connect to people through screens and more and more people having fewer interactions with others. I think as a society, we're waking up to some of the costs of that. Because what can happen when we have this individualistic idea and we have these individualistic behaviors, it does lead to a fragmentation of society and a growing sense of loneliness. And a city like ours is not immune to that at all, quite the opposite. And as I say, society is really waking up to the adverse effects when people do get disconnected, when people do live on their own. It actually can be really bad, not just for people's mental health, but even physical health as well. There's a recent book called The Lonely Century, and the author, Norena Hertz, talks about how when people become uh, detached from real and meaningful community, it triggers a lingering and cumulative stress response in the body hampering our immune systems, increasing our risk of heart disease, stroke and dementia, and making us almost 30% more likely to die prematurely. That is what the statistics and the research is saying when people are not living in community. It's not just a bad idea, it's actually bad for us. There is something inherently in part of what it means to be human, to be a community, to find our identity in knowing other people, having relationship with one another, friendship with one another. And we live in a city, there are huge amounts of loneliness in a city like ours, and we are suffering and waking up to the suffering that that creates. God has made us for relationship. He's made us for a relationship with him. He's also made us for a relationship with one another. And so it's no surprise that the Apostle Paul is speaking to this group of Christians and just reminding them of the importance of that unity, to live with one another, to be of one accord, one of mind, one mind. It's, it speaks of them knowing one another, befriending one another, doing life together. And that is not, it's not just a good idea, that's integral. And so that's a a challenge, an opportunity, an encouragement for us as a church. Maybe you're taking initial steps into this church. Maybe you've been part of this church for years. We want to be a place that is 
building community with one another. That's why we do small groups. That's why we talk about it every term. That's not the only way to do community, but it is a key way to do community. Maybe you're thinking, actually, I feel very isolated and lonely in my life. I encourage you, take a step into community. Join a group. Join a serving team here. Get to know people on a Sunday. Let's, let's, do, let's do that. And I'm talking to families. I'm talking to older people. I'm talking to younger, younger people. I'm talking to singles. It's who we are as the people of God to be a community together. Complete my joy. Paul's saying, what would bring me joy is to know that you're actually looking out for one another, befriending one another. How open is your home to others? How hospitable are you? How intentional are you at meeting new people or having people in your home or meeting people during the week? This is a challenge to all of us. And I think particularly in the season that we have been in, we've perhaps all of us, myself included, we've got out of good habits with this because of the pandemic. For obvious reasons, we're finding our feet again. And perhaps sometimes spending time with others and being intentional with our friendships is maybe the last thing that comes online in terms of getting back to a sense of normal life. But really, we read the scripture and it's not an incidental part of life. It's part of the Christian life. So let me encourage you with that. Let's not neglect it. Let's move on a little bit to the next few verses as well. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, do nothing in verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. I read that again because I'm just, when I read that, I'm like, wow. This teaching is radical. You know, Jesus said, do to others what you would have them do to you. And, our, and our, as I've already mentioned, our culture generally accepts that, but we have a sort of Chinese whispers uh, version of that that is filtered down. That's just like, well, it's nice to do nice things for other people. But when Paul is getting back to the roots of what Jesus was talking about, he's really speaking of a radical a radical way of life that challenges us, that challenges the way we think about ourselves and challenges us to think of other people. You know, do nothing from selfish ambition. Count others more significant than yourselves. That takes a sledgehammer to the individualistic way that we probably instinctively think. We wake up in the morning and we, we think about ourselves. We think about what I'm going to do. We think about what my priorities are. We're thinking about, well, uh, perhaps we're even anxious. We're anxious. How am I going to get this? Is this going to work out in my life? Am I going to reach this goal and that sort of thing? Of course, there are cares of our lives. And Paul says, you know, you look to your own interest. Yeah, that's important. But look to the interests of others fundamentally as well. And I'm sorry, I'm going to say a few things about this passage, but I do encourage you to read this passage for yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. What does this look like in my life? Because if you're not hearing this passage as radical, you're not, you're not hearing it. God is actually commanding us to live this way. Do nothing from selfish ambition. 
count others more significant than yourself. It's very easy to say, oh, that sounds like a good idea. It's the calling of the Christian to actually put this into practice. The true Christian life is a life poured out in the love and service of others. A gospel life. Remember, that's what we've been thinking about. Live lives worthy of the gospel. Paul's saying this is what it looks like. It's a self-giving life. A self-giving life. The idea, I think, is even slightly in our wider consciousness now as a society in the events of the, the last few week or weeks or months or so, when we've seen the passing of uh, Queen Elizabeth II, and in many ways her life has been celebrated for this very fact that she was selfless and gave herself to a life of service. In the funeral service, uh, the Archbishop Justin Welby said this, those who serve will be loved and remembered when those who cling to power and privileges are long forgotten. And the way the Queen lived her life in service of others has been very much admired and celebrated. But I think probably what's going on there is people have supposed that that was because well, she was the queen. <laughs> that was her role to be self-giving and serve the country in that way. But actually, I think it's a lot to do with the fact that she was a Christian, came out of a sense of faith, that what it means to be a Christian is to love and to serve others. It's fundamental. I wonder if you think about your life that way. <laughs> We're here on earth to love and serve others just as we have been loved and served by God. To receive that and to extend that in the way we live. You see, Paul does not say here, oh, live a little less self-centered than other people. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition. What, is, what does that mean? <laughs> what are we talking about here? Well, I think for all of us, if we're thinking about the practical outworking of this, well, in one sense, start at home. Probably the most straightforward way of working this out is to love and serve those that we live with in our household. Maybe you live with other people that you're related to or you're housemates with people and that sort of thing. I think what Paul is speaking to here is if you're a Christian, you need to understand that a primary call in your life is to love and to serve the people around you. To wake up each day and think, how, how can I serve those people that I live with and that are close to me? Is that top of your agenda? Is that what you think about? And that can look in many different ways. It can be with the kindness that we extend. The people around you need your, need your encouragement. They need your companionship. They need you to be considerate to them. That's what it means to be loving and serving of them in terms of being intentional with building friendship with them and showing them kindness, giving them 
gifts and just think, I just thought of you and I thought this would be helpful to you and I wanted to give it to you. To praise them when they do things well. To speak words that are encouraging to them. To own the things in life that they are going through. If they're going through a difficulty, asking them how it's going. Showing that emotional support. Also practically as well. If you're living with other people, this serving and loving, if you're coming in with that Christian attitude of how can I love, love and serve other people, I think it gets very practical very quickly. To serve others means to play, I would not even play your part with the, you know, maybe the cleaning or the, the tidying and in your household and that sort of thing. I think what Paul is talking if you have some sort of rotor and arrangement that you'll, you know, this person clean on this day and this person, as a Christian, you, as a standard, you're going above and beyond. You're not doing as much as everyone else. You are outdoing others in goodness because you have a God who loves you and serves you overwhelmingly. So I'm saying to you, you're not waiting to just play your part. You're going over and above. You're cooking for others. You're cleaning. You're, you're, you're serving them in practical ways. You're thinking ahead because you want to love and serve those around you. I'm getting very practical here, but I think this is what it's about. Look to your own interests and also look to the interests of others. You need to eat each day, but are you thinking about cooking for other people? Hey, I knew you wanted a meal, so I just cooked for everyone in the house. Things. Just, I want to get very practical here because I think this is what it looks like. It's not just about playing our part. It's actually, we've been served by an overwhelming love of God. And it, it's, it speaks of him when we just go over and above in loving and serving others. And not just those in our household. It's, it's building friendships with others outside of our household as well. Sharing the gospel with others. That is one way that we love and serve people. Telling the truth about the good news of Jesus. Talk about it in family life as, as well. Maybe many of you uh, are, are married. Maybe you have children. Maybe you have other family members that you live with or, or, or see on a day-to-day -day basis. Again, you need to understand a primary call of your life is to pour yourself out in love and service of them. Do you wake up each day and think that is on your agenda today? To bless your family, to bless those who are close to you, to bless your colleagues, to bless people that you are friends with. And that, again, it's, it's, it's making meals for people. It's giving lifts to people. It's cleaning around the house. It's sorting finances and bills. It's, it's showing affection, showing warm, loving. And I, I do want to speak to husbands and wives. Your call is to pour yourself out for the other person. What do they need? What's going to be a blessing to them? Are you thinking of that on a day-to-day -day basis? This is what it means to live for the gospel. And it's, we're doing this in a way that is self-forgetful. Now, I, I, I want to speak about this, and I, want to, I, I am talking in a way that you, you're pouring yourself out. You're living your life for the service of others. And you think, is, are, you, are you really talking about a path of joy? I said, you start doing this. You're, it is to bless, to live your life to bless others. It is joyful. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. And this is what he's talking about. 
When, you, when you're able to bless others and, and put on your agenda other people's welfare, other people's happiness, other people's, it, it will bring you joy. I tell you what doesn't bring you joy. I tell you what robs your joy when you're doing this. What creeps in is a sense of entitlement. I know it does for me. I, I try, I try and pull my life out to serve my wife, my kids, friendships, you in the church. That's what I feel called to give my life to. I think that's what scripture says. That's what I'm there for. Sometimes it's wearying. Sometimes it's hard. That's okay. But what creeps in sometimes is a sense of entitlement to be a bit selfish or slipping into a contractual way of thinking that, look, I'm doing all this. I'm trying to serve and love different people in my life and they're not really doing it for me. I'm loving them, serving them, but it's not really that even. What creeps in is this sense of, well, I'm owed a little bit here. It's that that actually robs us of joy. Doing the serving is not actually a life of difficulty. It's actually a life of joy. But when that idea comes in that we're entitled to a bit of selfishness, or I'm going to stop doing that because they're not giving to, especially I'm speaking to husbands and wives, maybe I'm speaking in the workplace as well. You might say, Matt, you know, you're talking about going into the workplace and, and being the one to do the washing up or, or, or make tea and coffee for people or be considerate. And you don't know the people I work with. They're not good. They don't treat me well. And I say, this is the gospel. <laughs> when we love and serve others, whether we feel they deserve it or not, especially when they don't deserve it, you are living the gospel. Because we, if we're a Christian, we have received God's love, his service of us. He has given himself. He's poured his life out on the cross for you. You did not deserve that. You deserve the opposite of that. And it's living the gospel when we love and serve others, not because they've done it to us, not because we've agreed a, con a contract, right? You be good to me and I'll be good to you. No, it doesn't come from there. It comes from here. It comes from what God has done for us. And this is a recipe for joy in our lives. Because when we recognize that God has loved us, then God has loved you. God has sent his son to die on a cross to forgive you, to express his love for you so that you can know the father forever. That smashes our sense of entitlement. Our, 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 our excuse to be selfish. No, no, God has not been selfish. He, has been, he gave of himself. And actually when we realize that and we live in that truth, that, that brings us into freedom. And that actually enables us and empowers us to love and serve others in a consistent way. Some of you, your marriage is difficult or there's certain relationships in your life that are difficult because you've got into this contractual way of thinking. Well, I'm not going to encourage them because they never encourage me. Or I'm not going to uh, pull my weight around the house because they, they've not done this, this and this. The gospel smashes that. Stop living that way. Live in the gospel. Christ has died for you. He's loved you. So whatever they, you're loving them. You're serving them. You're encouraging. You, do that and you'll see a difference in your marriage. You'll see a difference in that relationship. You'll see a difference in the way that people treat you at work. Because it doesn't come from those horizontal relationships. It comes from what Christ has done.
See, Paul is not talking about trying to work really hard in doing something. He's saying receive the gospel and live gospel lives. What creeps in is this, why, sh why should I treat them like that? They don't treat... The answer is because Jesus. It's not actually because they're really nice and deserve it. What, if you get that question in your mind, why should I do? The answer is Jesus. Look at what Jesus has done for you. Look at what Jesus has done for you. That's where this radical attitude comes from. Normally, in the new, these New Testament letters, the Apostle Paul he writes about what Jesus has done and then he gives some practical instruction off the back of that. In this chapter, it's actually the other way around. And that's what I want to finish with because he's given this practical instruction of how to love and serve others. But what he's about to get to and what we're going to unpack in more glorious detail next week is the following verses. I'm just going to read them to you. Our basis, our ground for loving and serving others doesn't come from within. It doesn't come because we think people, other people deserve it. It comes from what Christ has done for us. Because he goes on to say, this mind, this attitude that we're embracing in the gospel, he says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, you have it in Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We serve and love others, forgetting about ourselves because we've not forgotten the wonder of the cross that the Son of God became a servant, a servant for you in dying to forgive you, to love you and to free you, to open up this path of joy. The God who loved you has died for you. And that's the love that we receive, that we extend to others. He's poured himself out for us and we don't pour ourselves out to pay him back we pour ourselves out for others because we we're just living in the good of that i'm living in the ways of jesus his way is to love and he's so filled my heart with love i'm going to pour it out for others how can i serve how can i love how can i show the love of god because he has been so good to me let me pray father i pray for each one that's heard this message this spirit, you would lead them to know what it looks like to love and to serve in the ways of the gospel. And I pray as a result that families would be changed, households would be changed, workplaces would be changed for their blessing and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.